And I also have to hold my healing and my personhood and my integrity, but I also have to hold my role as an ally and the work that I need to do um, to be true to what I'm trying to do, right? But then I also have to hold my my people that I like, my clients, my my the the populations that I'm trying to help support. I have to hold what is true to who they are and what they need me to do as an ally. So yes, it's just, it's just all of those things and. and I don't even know how I got there most of the time, but I I can definitely say it's still something I I have to keep in mind every single day and something that I'm working on all the time. Um, But yeah, so thank you for for pointing that out. I I used, I did get feedback back in the day that they're like, how do you do this? How do you not scream at people? (laughs) I don't know. I'm, I'm sitting in a room where people are telling me queer people aren't real. And I'm like, wait, am I real? Am I alive? Can I, so sometimes also bringing in the humor of it too is is a thing so yeah it's it's a fun fun place to be <laughs> yeah i'm telling you i was always impressed with the you know i think i can point to two different aspects was just the one was um i can't remember what training it was but a couple of different trainings i was there and able to witness you and uh just you did it just did it with a level of confidence that i was just it, it really deserves respect like you, especially at somewhere like utah state university um the way that you were able to carry yourself, you know, is very admirable. And then, you know, just when you, when you would talk about family and stuff, you just seem so um, content in your own skin. Um, And so I just appreciate that, you know, when you're, when people are able to do that, it it gives people kind of, it kind of gives people permission and liberates them to be able to do the same. Um, And so just by you being able to carry yourself and demonstrate that, you know, it helped me out. So I appreciate that. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. Thank you. Well, I'm glad it was able to. And I think the key there is 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 that vulnerability and understanding, and and, and being okay with being wrong, occasionally, <laughs> or a lot. Who knows? <laughs> I was always open to learning. I guess is is I think a big key too. Uh, and I always am. I I will share my opinion, but I also want to reassure people. Hey, tell me what's up. What do you think? Like. Well, tell me where, where you're getting these ideas and, and point me in the direction that you want me to go. And I'm going to go look into it. And at the end of the day, if I, you know, I'm a better person for it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I was thinking when you were talking earlier, I was thinking about another story that I had. Um, again, back to the treatment facility that I was supervising. My boss was the, uh, before they, before he got fired, was the, the director of nursing. And um, his name was Sam. And he's, he promoted me several times, so he obviously liked me. But I remember when he brought me into his office um, one day when I first had begun as a supervisor, you know, this young person supervising all these people older than him. And he was, you know, he's trying to mentor me. And he's like, he's like, I don't even know the timeline of when uh, Rudy Giuliani was mayor of New York. I know he was during 9-11, but I don't know when he ended. So I'm yeah. not sure if he was actually mayor at this time. But he's like, you know, the best advice that I can give you, Christian, is, you know, you got to be like Mayor Rudy Giuliani. And by that, I mean, you know, Rudy, he locked, Mayor Rudy, he locked up everyone. If you were jaywalking, he's going to lock you up. So it's no tolerance (laughs) whatsoever, you know, like you got to lay down the law and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like sitting there thinking into my head, like, yeah, right. You took him to the wrong person. Um, And (laughs) it's very interesting that he liked me. And like, I can't remember any time him ever criticizing me, but my philosophy of working with the kids was the exact opposite of that. 
you know, I felt that, you know, being in Utah, for example, uh, for those of you that don't have any experience with a place like that, you know, swearing is deemed really bad in, in, in a lot of situations. And so you'd have these kids, or let's just say I had a, I had a kid one time that came in from, a, from a, I think he was, where was he from? I think maybe he was one of our Philly kids. But um, in there for uh, aggravated robbery and like all like a long list of, of, you know, very, you know, harsh crimes that he had done as a Jew, that he'd done just as a kid. And um, the staff there sometimes, you know, would want to like penalize or get what we call to give them a consequence for like saying a swear word. And I'm like, if you know, if this kid is in here for armed robbery or aggravated robbery or whatever, aggravated assault, if the worst thing that he's doing is saying a swear word, then we've come a long ways. Um, and it's also trying to apply your, you know, if, if this is the language that he's heard his entire life, you're not going to change that. And you penalizing him for it, in my opinion, is, is just being overly harsh and overly restrictive. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, you know, I wonder if you could give any more insight into that. You know, how do we not project our values or the things, I think the things that we take for granted. Um, you know, I don't think the folks that were trying to, you know, put their impressions on the, these kids that are from completely different, you know, geographical, cultural background and try to put them into where they're at, you know, again, paved with good intentions, uh, but wrong. What do you think about that? Like, I mean, how do you, how do you navigate that? Or how do we make sure that we're able to look in, in the mirror as social workers, as human beings that are working and in, 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 in interacting with other human beings that are often different than us? How do we, you know, how do we do that? Oh, I wish I had the answer. Um, but I guess I could just talk about how I move through that in a way. Um, and I don't know why this is coming to mind, but I guess I'll talk about this. I have a client currently who, um, an adult with developmental disabilities, they're in their sixties. Um, and, and we definitely have a very differing value that I am struggling with or, you know, constantly, um, and, and that is the value of health, right? So I, I value being healthy and wellness and, and whatnot. Uh, and, and this individual and doesn't, right? So they are making choices that, oh, like I, I struggle so much with where they're obviously paying for, I, I say paying for, but I guess they, they obviously are dealing with the consequences of not caring for health and not listening to the really really strong community around them that just wants the best for them. And is like, we want to take care of you, but you got to help us. You got to do some stuff. Right. And, and I definitely feel that, that tension where, and I guess that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier is like, as a social worker, I, I find myself in that mindset of, I know better than you. Like, come on, do, do what's going to help you be a healthy individual. And, and, oh, if they didn't, if they weren't having all these, these struggles and, and weren't, um, all of these things, right? Like, oh, it would just be better if they could just, if I could, how can I get them to listen to me and see my side? And, and I definitely struggle with that a lot. And I think it comes back to my kindness and empathy 
and letting go of my power and making my power its power with and and recognizing that okay i have a desire to control this person and i think i know it's better for them and i will readily admit that um and and struggle with that but and i'm not going to put that on them though i'm going to sit and remember you get to choose who you are and what your life is and what makes you happy and you and and maybe it comes back down to the basic rights of our consumers and my clients right they have basic rights and they get to choose what they do but also at the same time i want to exert my power over them to make them make better choices and so i think it it is this idea of you know this is not me this is not who i want to be as your ally as your person as your direct support worker this is not what i want to do i want to empower you because you get to make the choices and and i want you to lead that life and so if you're saying this is the choice i'm making instead of being that person that says no 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 maybe we should think about something else i mean if it's for desperate if we're looking I, i'm talking about like general health things like not eating well um making those smaller decisions i'm definitely not talking about like huge medical decisions but I'm not going to be that person that's like, are you sure? Um, or uh, I don't know, like, you know, and like kind of like chipping away at their own self-confidence. I want to empower them to be able to voice their opinions and then to be able to act upon those as an ally. I think that's the basic thing, right? I think that's, if you're telling me what you want and what you need, then I should be that person to give that to you um, and support that, I guess. Um, and so I think a lot of it comes back to letting go of that idea of power and control and recognizing when you're having those impulses that come from your lifelong whatever, your experience, all of those things, um, and, and not engaging in in that, for lack of a better word, that, that violence of control. Um, in this instance, it would be something really small, but... Yeah, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, thank you. What about like from a different angle? What about when you were when you come across and maybe you haven't, um, but I'm sure you've been challenged in some ways. What about when you have somebody that you're working with and they challenge you in in ways like the things that they say, the things that they believe are just like strike you right at your heart. And so I've been in the field for decades now. And there's only been one time, there's been lots of people that have challenged me, but I've been able to work through it. Um, but only one time when I was doing my practicum internship as an undergraduate, I worked at a domestic violence shelter. And obviously you hear, not a, excuse me, not a domestic violence shelter, but I worked with the offenders. Um, mm. So I went into the jail and then I also worked with them at, at this agency. But um, obviously you hear a lot of things you don't want to hear, you know, when you're talking about child abuse, domestic violence, things like that. Um, but for the most part, you know, I was able to to meet with them where they were at and work with them. And I was actually very surprised with how willing they were to work with me and talk to me. Um, but there was one guy that was like your burly Alaskan, lived out in the rural that like preyed upon women and like he had no remorse. He was racist. He was misogynist. And like everything he said was just like, I don't even know, like, I don't even know how to deal with this. And another part of it was like the way he talked to me was like, I agreed with him, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. You know, like yeah. he was so confident in his views, in his like, um, you know, his, uh, 
you know, his, his, as a white man, basically, to have power over women, especially the Native women. Uh, like, it was just, I just couldn't hear it anymore. And so I had to go and tell my, um, my, my, my supervisor at the practicum, like, hey, I'm sorry, I know you like me to work with the diff- difficult clients because I'm good at it, but I can't do this one. Um, yeah. How do you, like, and, you know, maybe that's an extreme example, but there were a lot of other instances, you know, where people challenged my beliefs and said things and that, that, that shook me. Um, another time, you know, I was with, I don't know if I've ever shared this story on like a public space, but when I was uh, going through my undergraduate again, I was in Fairbanks for like a, for a cohort. And I had a friend of mine that used to help me out uh, quite a bit. He actually helped me out a lot um, in Fairbanks when I'd go down there and give me rides and help me out and be a friend to me. But I had just got out of this class, I think it was social policy. And um, he said, we had watched uh, a documentary. I don't even remember what exactly it was, but there was, it was about, part of it was about lynching. And it disturbed me. I had never, at that point in time, I, hadn't, I didn't know about all of it or the exact details, I guess. And so I was reflecting to him in his car, in his truck or his car, I can't remember, as we're driving afterwards. And he's like, uh, well, would you do it? And I was like, what? I was just confused. And he's like, well, w- would you do it? And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, you know, would you lynch a, and he used the N-word? And I was like, what? Like, how are you going to say that to me? And I was like, you can't say that. Like, I don't even, I don't even know where we're at. You know, I'm in the car. It's like 40 below zero. We're driving along. And I'm like, you can't say that to me. Um, and he like doubled down like three times. Like oh it was God. a joke. And I think he was joking. You know, he was like, he wasn't trying to be like nefarious about it. But I mean, like, come on, man. Like, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm pretty, um, a type of person who's, you know, pretty thick skin. You could say a lot of things to me and it's not going to affect me that much. Um, but you know, like there's certain things and like, he just kept pushing it. And I want, I mean, probably shouldn't say this on here, but I wanted to choke him out. And instead I got out, told him to stop and I got out of the car. But like when you encounter individuals, whether you're working with them or whether you're a friend, as you change and you, you know, you become more informed or more, you know, our values change, our worldview changes. Like, how do you, I know you've touched on it a little bit, but like, how do you bridge that gap? Or when do you know that you need to walk away? Oh, yeah. Um, these are the instances I called hard stops. <laughs> and I, I definitely have run into them multiple times um, in, in really weird and strange ways. And, and I have reacted in different ways almost every time I feel like there have been instances like I was I I was where was it was like we were in a group of friends and 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 I was just hanging out off duty I was like this is fine I'm gonna have a good time nothing I'm not in work mode I'm not in ally mode like I'm just hanging out having a beer and there was this person that joined us that I didn't know before and I, and I don't, they didn't know who I was or who, what my identity was, anything like that. And they literally just casually almost, but not casually, like they were very serious. was like, well, gay marriage is going to end the world. And I was like, and then they start going off about why. And all of it is very based in values. And this is, is what I see usually happening is this, Maybe not values is the right word, but these these beliefs that you can't 
I really like having the statistics as a tool, right? Where I'm like 40% of, of homeless kids are LGBT. This is wrong. This is a problem, obviously. And that kind of helps people be like, wait a second, I should listen. Why is that? But in these instances where, where they, it, it goes back to like, yeah, if it's a man being like, well, women are inferior. And I just, I never know how to answer that. I'm like, and usually my, my go-to to help myself not do that face of what, uh, is to be like, okay, why? <laughs> like, and that's been my most go-to is, is, all right, I'm going to attempt to understand for just a second. And I always give myself that, or I give them that I should say is I instantly don't feel good and I feel on edge and I feel very uncomfortable for lack of a better word. Um, but in my journey to learn and understand and, and be the best human I can be, I'm going to give you the floor for just a second. And if, and of course, almost every single time that I've been in that situation, it's not gone any better. And it's, it's just these things I can't respond to. And it brings up so much pain for myself as a person who identifies that way, or even if it's not, if we're talking about a different population um, that I'm not identifying with, that I all, I have very, I've learned a lot from them um, or from those marginalized groups, or I've learned so much history that just, I just know better, I want to say, than this person. Um, and and also going back to ideas of power where they're, they're very much power over and this is the superior group and this is why and and so in those moments when, when I find those there and I, and I've tried to just, okay, I'm going to, I'm just, maybe if I have the energy, I'm going to ask why to understand you better. Um, most of the time I say, this is not a space where any change is going to happen. And I hate that. I hate admitting that. Um, but I think for protection and healing of myself and, and for, the situation I'm in, I have to be okay with knowing that nothing can change. Um, and, and walking away from that and, and hope and pray to all of the gods and goddesses out there to, to whatever that that person is going to shift just a little bit, whether that be they read something and that leads them to read more or they meet someone that they truly care about and they end up learning how to listen and I have to hope the best for that, but there is only so much I can do. Um, and honestly, at the very end of it too, is, is when I get to that space of I need to let go um, and, and wish you on your journey. I also know that, all right, I can't change their mind, but I can do all of this other stuff and I'm going to continue doing my work and I'm going to fight like hell for all of the people that I love and care about and for all the people that need help and support and for me to be their ally and to help them lead their cause. Like, and that one person is not going to be that person. <laughs> so I think that's, that is kind of my, that's, that's where I come to. I think at the end of the day is there's only so much we can do. And sometimes you can't fight in that space. And I guess that goes to, you know, knowing when to fight and when to, to not. And those are my spaces where I say, mm, I can't fight here. I'm going to go do my fight over here. <laughs> 
Yeah, there's plenty of battles out there, so we got to choose them wisely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I thank you for that. And I see, you know, our, our listeners are also thankful for the conversation. So I appreciate that. Um, we're getting out there in time. So and I see we have a caller. And so I'm going to open up to questions. After, I have two. Let me rephrase that. I got two more questions for you, and then I'm going to open it up to the audience. Um, okay. The first question is, you know, where I could take it critical. And I'm just going to leave it open, same like I did last week. You know, you have a variety of experience. I think you'd be best just choosing the way that you want to answer it. But where does, you know, social work, it doesn't have to necessarily be the actual profession of social work, but, you know, social work in general, we talked about the other day, yeah, <laughs> doing social work, where does, where does it need to look in the mirror? And maybe it is the profession of social work. You, I mean, you know, I'm not saying you can't focus on that, but yeah. where do you think social work or, or, you know, working with other human beings, being an ally, you know, whatever that, whatever that means, where do we need to look in the mirror? You know what I mean? Where does social, where does social work itself need to look in the mirror in, in order to be able to improve, to meet this, you know, ever-changing world? Because we're, social work is behind right now. Oh, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Um, and I, and I think I'm the first person to say, I don't know. <laughs> um, just based off of what we've talked about and about my own work and what I'm working on is I, I think it really needs to take a good hard look at impact and, and really understand impact from the large systemic impact to that individual. And I, and I mean, critically take it apart at every single level. Um, and I think some people are doing a really good job at that. Um, and I think some organizations are doing a good job. And and especially when I'm looking at what they're teaching in, in social work nowadays, I think they're doing a much better job. But I think that needs to be a, a practice across the board. Because if we don't understand how all of these things are intersecting and influencing one another, we're not going to be able to improve upon those systems. And, and I'm a really, I, I am a big systems thinker, but I also understand the value of changing hearts and minds. And I think you have to hold both of those whenever you're doing any sorts of work, you have to understand the system and you have to understand the individuals involved in that system on all sides of the system. And I think that takes so much work and so much, so much work. And I think that's really what it is. And I think it also, the other thing is, is that idea of there is no one right answer. And, and bringing us all the way back to the beginning of our podcast, I think if we don't make a change from these giant big systems to community-based systems, we're going to keep making the same mistakes. Um, a social work practice in Alaska that is working very well for that population in that community might not look at all like anything here in Vermont. And I think that's how it should be. Um, I think we, we can teach these principles and these practices everywhere around the world, but also we need to teach, you need to start where you are and with the people who are around you to make this successful or else, we're going to keep running into all of the things that we're seeing. Right. Um, 
I think that's where, where I would start, <laughs> which is no small task. Right. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Well, small, you know, uh, a small pile of dirt can turn into a large mound after time. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Roll that snowball. Um, all right. All right. One last, one last question. I've always been on, I've been on this theme of kinship, uh, uh, ever since this podcast started part of, you know, what I'm immersing myself in some things I've been reading and whatnot. But part of that is, you know, we talk, it's easy to talk. I should say it's easier to talk about kinship between human to human, regardless of your race or cultural background. It's easier when we're talking about humans. But another thing that I've admired about you going back that I don't know that much about it, but I know that you love at least some animals, if not all animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I heard you say Gatsby, which just to, I can picture your dog and I, I'm assuming that you have the same dog. Uh, oh, he's right at my feet, back. right at this moment. <laughs> yeah, and he used to he used to come to the up to the university with you sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just you know you can tell people that care and have kinship with animals, and so we've been talking about it um, in every podcast. And uh, you know it's something I've been trying to explore. You know I have a we have a cat, um, been trying to explore it with him, but also you know the the variety of animals around. Uh, you know, I live in the middle of the forest and in, in next to a fjord. So we have lots of sea wildlife. We have bears. We have eagles. We have chipmunks everywhere, marmots, uh, you know, seals, sea lions, uh, oh otters. Sea No, we don't have sea otters, but we have river otters that swim in the sea sometimes. And, and they're, they're real playful and whatnot. But anyways, I've been trying to, you know, continuously put myself in a position to try to reforge what I believe was probably lost somewhere along mm-hmm in the history of humankind was it would be uh, more of a kinship relationship with nature, but with, with animals. And so wherever you want to take it, whether you want to talk about Gatsby or whatever, but I was wondering if you might talk about your, your ideas of kinship with animals or share a story, whatever you'd like. Oh, yes. Well, um, yeah, I am. I could talk about this forever. Um, I actually, to start um, back in the day, uh, when I was still an undergrad, um, we, me and a group of friends used to do these like one minute Ted talks. Um, and we would actually, we would all like make our own PowerPoints and then we would come together and each of us would get to do a Ted talk. And, um, one of the ones that I, I did, and I, I still think about a lot, um, that actually really fuels my life philosophy in general was this idea. I, I think I titled it, um, uh, we could solve all our problems if we just worship the goddess. And I meant the goddess by the earth. Um, and, and I, I did a really big deep dive and, and this is actually in one of my favorite books about allyship is the, this idea of cultural beliefs and values that are based in, in mother earth and, and goddess and were so much more peaceful and had this much better idea of power with rather than power over and how much, how beautiful that was. And, and I think if we could make it back to that, I think we would have a really big, a lot more success when we're talking about the work that we're doing. But anyways, um, so when we talk about kinship with animals, I actually really love that you brought this up because this is something that I, I see very important in life. I, I think coming from an allyship standpoint, I thought that this is connected. Um, 
is that idea of this animal and the animals and the earth, I'm not superior to. Um, and I talked about this in this little one minute TED talk was, we'll look at cultures that see the earth as, as life giver of, of the one that's taking care of us, who is feeding us, who is, is everything. It is our home. It is our food. It is our, our so much, right? Um, and, and those in those spaces, there is no need to own the land. There is no need to, to own the animals, to own and be in control of anything because we trust that everything, we're going to take care of each other. And um, the animals will, will be meat for us when we need it in, in winter time. And, and, uh, but then also in the spring, mother earth will give us the land to, to live off of. Right. Um, and I think, um, I find that to be a, a daily practice of my own too. I'm very, my husband makes fun of me, um, a lot because I'm always like, we have to have a bird feeder and, and we have to make sure that it's the right bird seed. And like, I have to look up what kind of birds are, do we have? Um, I live on that, like where I look, I overlook the lake, and we have this balcony that's like way up in the air because um, we're on a cliff. And so I'm getting all types of birds. And I'm like, I have to know what kind of birds they are and what they like because I want to be able to care for them so that they can feed my soul by coming to visit my window and I can see them. Um, and in those type of practices, I but to all to end this idea of kinship, let's bring it back to Gatsby. Um, and I'll, and I'll tell my story a little bit there. Um, so I was, I think 21, 2021, and I was diagnosed with major depression disorder for the first time. And my doctors were like, you've had this for a very long time. And, and I had done so many different types of medication. I had done therapy. I, I was changed my whole entire lifestyle and nothing was really clicking for me. And I was just it was one of those things where I like, I am a very mentally ill woman right now and I need something. And, and one of my great mentors at the time was like, Macy, you grew up with having all sorts of animals. I grew up always having cats. We had chickens. We had, I had rats for a time, bunnies. Like that was just like my home. I was always having an animal to take care of and to, and to be with. And, um, so she's like, why don't you look at getting an emotional support animal? And I said, oh, you know, that's a, oh, okay, why not? Like, let's do it. And, and I had never owned a dog before. Um, I had very much, uh, I, I had a dog when I was like two. So, right. I didn't think it. So I thought, you know, this would be really good for me. And I had thought of this, I originally approached it like, I'm going to take care of this dog and I'm going to own this dog and I'm going to like train it to do all these cool things. And I wasn't necessarily thinking of it in the way that I do now. So I went and I adopted this scrawny little shaved pup that like looked so scared and, and he was a stray. And so they didn't know his story, but he obviously had been hit before. Cause if you moved your hand too fast, you'd drop to the floor, like scared to death. And it was Gatsby. And so I adopted this this dog. And I was like, all right, you're my dog. And, and through this beautiful, I don't even know how it happened. I came to see this dog as my best friend. And, and I'd say, you know, people's like, oh, the dog's your best friend. But I mean, I, I literally mean like I see Gatsby as this beautiful spirit who 
I so magically happened to run into at the time I needed him most. And, and I never was able to train him to do anything super cool. I, and, and it was kind of, I think, born out of that frustration of wanting to control and to make this experience exactly what I wanted, that letting go of that slowly, I realized this is not how this should work. Gatsby is a very certain way and he is a certain soul and he needs and wants his own things. Um, and so having that beautiful relationship with him over the past, oh, it'll be 10 years in October, um, has really taught me this idea of seeing animals as teachers, as companions, as lifelong friends. Um, and I think he he's kind of the reason I became a pagan in a lot of ways too. Like it's just, I don't know. I think there's so much to, to learn from them and to cherish. Um, and then to end, I think I want to end on this recent experience I had, I, I went and visited some friends out in San Diego and they took me to SeaWorld because I love mermaids. I love whales. I, I love sea life in general. And, and so I was thrilled. I, I could sit at those exhibits all day and learn about all the ways that um, SeaWorld was doing conservation efforts and helping and in all of these things. And I know there's some controversy around SeaWorld, but Anyways, I, I, we got to the orca whales and, and personally, I, orca whales have never been my favorite or anything. I just was like, oh yeah, free willy. Awesome. Whatever. But we ended up going to this one and, and they were all the way across um, from us on the other side of the pool, I guess it's a very big tank. And, and we were just watching them and whatnot. And, and I was like, oh, it'd be so cool if like, I could just know what they're thinking and, and, and understand them. Are they okay? Like, is this an okay place to be? Like, I was just not sure. And right when I thought that one of the whales just totally turns around and swims directly up to me. Um, and I'm in this underground tank kind of thing. And, and I had had my hand on the, the glass and it was just this beautiful moment of, I was eye to eye with an orca whale. And in that moment, I kind of just like, what do you have to teach me? Like, and, and really coming at it from this idea of you are a beautiful, wonderful creature, a beautiful soul that has a story to tell and has things to tell me. And, and I think when you approach kinship with animals in that way, you open yourself up to something mystical and something much larger than ourselves um, and I think it, it goes back to that just idea of connection. And, and in that moment, I felt so connected to this whale. <laughs> and I felt like, a, and as I'm talking about this, I'm like, I'm such a crazy person. But at the same time, like, I very firmly believe that um, if we had these moments, what is the need for violence? What is the need for needing to control anybody else. Um, and, and I don't know, I just think opening this up by that idea and really allowing ourselves to connect with something that we may have grown up deeming lesser than or not as smart or whatever that is, you come back to healing and to connection and 
I think that's a really beautiful way to live. And I think that could solve a lot of issues that I'm seeing in social work and in allyship in general. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. Um, I think the best, the, one of the parts that you, one of the things that you said that really resonated with me and is aligns with a lot of the indigenous teachings that I've been immersing myself in is the idea of listening because you never know what they might have to teach you. It's a very open mm-hmm. way to look at things, but oftentimes we shut that we've shut that off. Oh, yeah. So we're not even, even if they're, if there is no wavelength or no way of communication or no way you wouldn't know because you're not even open, you're not open to it. And it's, it's something that's hard and it takes time, but that's something that I would encourage listeners. Uh, you know, if you've never done it, try to start thinking about kinship with, with other than humans, with animals, with trees, with, with, with many different things, but animals are a good place to start with your own animal or the wildlife in your area. Um, but yeah, so thanks for sharing that. I wanted to, uh, oh, I wanted to point out one more thing. So I don't, I don't know the validity of this, but I've seen several headlines recently that orcas have been attacking boats and been teaching each other to do it. Um, so interesting development. Uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that and see if there's any validity to it. Or, you know, I always wondered if an, an intelligent uh, species or intelligent animal like that would ever, you know, push back in any way to humans, you know, yeah. consciously. Or not as a reaction, you know, reactionary. Yeah. But um, yeah, we have a little bit of time left, so I wanted to. I know we lost uh, Sunstapa. Um, was was queued up. I'm not sure who that is. I don't know if I know who it is or not. But um, there's a few of us left. Does anybody have a question? You can uh, queue up in the call, or you can ask it in the chat. Give it just a moment. Um, do have some good That's comments? Do you, want to, do you want to meet Kathy? <laughs> uh, we can. I can't see you. I don't know if everyone else can or not. Oh, yeah. I can hear him. Oh, yeah. I poked him when he was sleeping. So he said, what? Why are you sleeping? Huh? I, 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 I think I didn't. I missed the part of your story. Did you say you adopted him when he was an adult or when he was a puppy? He was a year old. A year so old. he is 11, supposedly in June. And in October will be our 10-year anniversary together. Right yes. That's a, an amazing story. Um, yes. I often tell it? people he's the real love of my life. <laughs> what, what? I wish I could. Yeah, I don't know if people can see you or not, but I wish I could um, describe to people what he looks like. He looks like to me reminds me of the um, the dog from what the hell was that movie called when I was a kid? Benji. Yep, he looks is like that the Benji. same kind of dog. Yeah. Um, I don't know what type of dog Benji was. This is he's a Gatsby is a Wheaton Terrier. Um, and I got him at just like the humane society. And then we did the dog DNA test and turns out this dog is purebred. (laughs) I was like, Oh, wow. Weird. So, but yeah, he's a soft coated wheat interior and he just looks like a big old teddy bear. (laughs) Yeah. Well, right on. Good, good, good for Gatsby. Uh, you know, a lot. Heather and Deb both said thanks. Sunstop has said thanks too. So it's been a great episode, Macy. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, yeah, I wanted to give you the uh, the opportunity to, if you have any last words. Oh, um, oh, great question. I have more things, but I guess last words is um, you all, whoever you are, are beautiful souls and never doubt that. And continue to work on your own healing and it's okay to be imperfect and to, to fuck up every once in a while. <laughs> For lack 
of a better term. Just keep going. That's all it is. Absolutely. Well, Macy, I just wanted to say that it's been a pleasure uh, not only to talk to you this morning, but, you know, it's been a pleasure to know you. I really value the relationship that we had and the things that I was able to take from you and learn from you, uh, you know, when we were sharing the same space. And, um, you know, I hope that we can continue to stay connected. I know that, uh, you know, we've moved in opposite directions. Um, So I don't know. We're probably like 5,000 miles away or something. I'm not even sure. Probably. But yeah, uh, I just want to, you know, thank you from the bottom of my heart, uh, give my regards to your partner, to Gatsby. And, um, you know, I look forward to uh, connecting with you again in the future. Thanks so much for blessing us with your time and your wisdom and your knowledge and your experiences this morning. And thank you, Christian. You keep doing the work. You have always been amazing. And I now have to come visit you because of all of the wildlife that you are surrounded with. So (laughs) yeah, there's, there's lots of stuff here. (laughs) Um, the, we just saw our first bear the other day, um, we were driving, they call it out the road here, you know, when you drive out of town and, um, Mm -hmm. saw a little furry black bear (laughs) munching on some dandelions by the river. Oh my gosh. Magical. Magical. Well, you have a beautiful day, sir. And to all the rest of you as well. Yeah, you too. And, uh, you know, just thank you again, Macy. And, uh, we'll connect, I'm sure. Well, that is it. That is it for the episode. Um, As always, you can find episodes right here on Colin after we air. Uh, Usually, sometimes we have technical difficulties. But uh, it should be available on here. It should be available on Apple and Spotify um, after it's recorded. And, uh, you know, it's usually up there by the end of the evening. I'll be here next Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Uh, my guest is named Teresa. She's a LCSW licensed clinical social worker in New York City, and she'll be talking to us about uh, working with uh, mostly uh, black folks from a liberation standpoint. So that should be very interesting. So I look forward to seeing you next week. Uh, the Critical Social Work is a collaborative effort between the University of Alaska Fairbanks, Department of Social Work, and Conscious Party Productions. This has been a Conscious Party production brought to you by the University of Alaska Fairbanks Department of Social Work. You've been listening to The Critical Social Worker, a revolutionary storytelling podcast. Your story, my story, our story. Peace. <laughs>